Hello, welcome to Stacked. I'm Amanda. And I'm Zipporah. And we're two friends who connected over our shared love of books and their power to demystify the world around us. So if you're the kind of person who can't leave their house without a book, or you still remember the first book you couldn't put down, or you love long journeys because it gives you a really good chance to read, then join us each episode as we discuss the books we've read and how they've changed us, saved us, made us laugh, and cry, or even disappointed us. It happens. (laughs) You can find Stacked wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at thestackedpod. Hello. Hey. Hi, friends. Hello. (laughs) How are you today? I'm tired. Mm. I'm tired. I hear that. How are you? Miserable. Oh, yeah. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you miserable? Oh, just a terrible, terrible day. You know, one of those days where literally everything is going wrong. Guys, we've been having technical technical difficulties. difficulties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, that was just on top of everything else. So, yeah. But you know what? We're here. We're here. We're alive. We're alive and we get to talk about books. Yeah, exactly. And why are you so tired? Tell me about your... Just work. Yeah. Just work. hmm And, you know, after you work, I need to decompress. Mm. I can't just finish work and go to bed. Mm-hmm. I need to do something, I need to read, I need to talk to my mum mm. or someone. And then by that point, it's late. It's later. <laughs> later. And then you're back up again. Yeah. Um, so. But mainly work. Yeah. yeah. Living to work, working to live. You know, deep. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise I'm all good, to yeah? be honest, yeah. Are you reading anything interesting at the moment? I just finished, what did I just finish? A Visit from the Goon Squad by Ooh. Jennifer. Have you heard of her? I've heard I, of I've not said the, the name squad. yet and I'm like, have you heard of her? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know who, Jennifer Egan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of the book. Yeah, so I was, what was happening? I was, you know how I get obsessed with people? I think I had just finished reading... Oh, one of Zadie Smith's books. Mm-hmm. So I was going down... Oh, wait, which Zadie Smith book? Um, On Beauty. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah, so I was going down a YouTube... Do people call it a rabbit hole? Mm. I was going to say spiral. <laughs> I mean, both works. Okay. Yeah. I was going down a YouTube rabbit hole, watching all of her interviews, and then she started... She did an interview with Jennifer Egan, and she was like... Guess, they were guessing each other up, like, no, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you are. So I was like, let me find out who she is. Mm-hmm. And so I... I get a visit from the Goon Squad on my iBooks and I loved it. I loved it. It basically takes you through these these group of people when from when they were like young in their prime, beautiful, you know, youthful, hopeful to the end of their lives. And it, I don't want to. Yeah, no, no, no ruins. I don't want to ruin no it. spoilers because re- I think I'm going to read it. The reason I don't want to ruin it is because, yeah, the, the most powerful part of it is basically the plot mm-hmm, that I'm mm-hmm. gonna, about to ruin and blow. Mm-hmm. But it's really good. What would you kind of classify it as genre-wise? Wow, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you read Girl, Woman, Other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought Bernadine was the first person to do, structure a book that way. Mm-hmm. But Oh, so kind of like... All their lives, the different all their perspe- lives yeah. overlap. Mm-hmm. Like they're, yeah, yeah, but like, it's different characters and yeah. you follow different characters per chapter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the same thing can happen, but from a different perspective. I mean, it's also kind of what they did in Homegoing, isn't it? With um... Never read that. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. Yeah. That one's really good. Shouts out Transcendent Kingdom, though. Mm. That's amazing. Oh, I haven't read that one. We need to do a book swap. But yeah, it's really good and it's written in that style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, wow, 
so people do this revolutionary yeah this has been done before I thought she was the first person to ever do it Mm -hmm. so Reddit it's amazing it's it really like teaches you about I don't know this life Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) this life this life I don't know I don't know where we're gonna end up basically yeah yeah. but yeah read it it's really good what about you I shall I think I've still been reading well I just finished the book of night women by Marlon James I think I mentioned that um like last week. Night Bitch? No, no, no. The oh. Book of Night Women. Why have all the books I've been reading recently About got... night? Yeah, why have they all got night in the title? It's just a What's going creature on of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm reading the finished The Book of Night Women by mm. Marlon James. And yeah, that was harrowing. I think when I spoke about it last time, I just kind of said it was like a really interesting book, really well written. But it's essentially set in like Jamaica... In the 1800s, so yeah. you know we're talking slaves already. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I exactly. Don't, I don't like that. Exactly. And, like, usually I stay away from um, slavery books because I feel like at this point I'm like, what? I've done it. <laughs> I've watched Roots, right? I get the gist. I've, I've really read widely. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get the gist of it. So I do tend to, like, stay away from them. There was something about this one that, like... uh drew me to it I think it's like the cover and the fact that it was like night women I was like oh that's quite interesting but it was so disturbing oh I like that it was so disturbing but but slavery is disturbing so yeah how how more disturbing than that it was just how descriptive and kind of like in depth it went into like the horrors of uh, slavery oh I don't know if I want this one no you actually kind of don't you kind of don't it's probably why I've had such a bad week like great book (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Yeah, like you did well, but you've you've depressed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just finished that up, and you know when you finish reading a really heavy book, yeah, I'm like, what do I do now? I want more. Really? Like you want more like sadder books? No, no, not sadder. But I, when I finish reading a heavy book, I feel like I like the feeling of being affected, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm, I want to be mm-hmm, affected again. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in a sad way, but I'm like, it it gets me in a good. I like usually a, have a good reading run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. But I feel like with this one, it's more like I read it and then I'm like, damn, that was sad. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I... Like, I don't even know what I would pick up now. Because I feel like I'm still kind of in this world. Like, in the world of the book. When we do book recs, we'll have to put you in there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm going to send one in. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm probably going to read, like, something light now because, God... This week, we're going to be getting into A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf, uh, which was one of my picks. I absolutely love this. I want to call it a book, but it's essentially like an extended essay, isn't Mm. it? That was eventually published. So it's an extended essay that she was commissioned to give uh, at Cambridge University concerning women and fiction. And like, what could interest us more than that? Women and fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Already, I was like, talk to me more. So it draws kind of like from her own experiences as a female writer. And it kind of details a day in the life of like unnamed narrator, which I think she did so that this just went on to represent a universal woman. And then kind of her experiences in intellectual spaces. So why did you choose A Room of One's Own? 
So I think I chose this book because, firstly, the subject matter. I think it's so important to, when we're looking at championing female authors and female writers, I feel like it's so important to be mindful of the barriers that are stopping women from writing. And I think it, it really interests me because it's something that we think about and talk about quite a lot, actually. We're always talking about like writing and the politics of writing. So I picked this one because it was the first time when I read a book. Because I do love to read writers on writing, like writers oh, talking about writing. Meta. Yeah, so meta. <laughs> <laughs> and then also because I'm like, let's learn from the greats. You know, yeah. like Virginia Woolf has something to say about writing. I'm trying to hear it. Yeah, tap in. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I'm fully locked in. So that's why and I picked it up and it was the first time that I felt like someone took into consideration people's material conditions that might prevent them from being able to make art. So not just like writing, but like painting, music, whatever other creative pursuits people might want to take up. I think when we think about encouraging, especially minority voices, it's important to think about the reasons why they might not be able to reach these goals as easily. And I thought that this was one of the first books I read where she was considering those things and also emphasising their importance. Yeah. You know? So then for you, then, obviously she gives us an answer to mm -hmm. this, but if you have anything to add, what do you feel like a person needs to be able to create and write? Mm. See, I would never think to... <laughs> I would never think to even say that I can add on to anything Virginia Woolf has. <laughs> <laughs> what she said. Yeah, literally. Like, Virginia, that was cute, but <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so what I think a person actually needs is exactly what she has said. I think she puts it so perfectly when she says that a woman needs money in a room of her own. Mm. Money in a room of her own. So... Which essentially, I would say, boils down to a woman needs resources and she needs opportunity in order to write fiction. And I'm sure there's like loads of, you know, other like little nuances, but I think that summarises it so perfectly, especially when we consider the kind of socioeconomic barriers to women. And maybe I'm missing something, mm. but for me, something that I did think mm -hmm. was, she said, you need money in a room of one's own to write fiction but mm. why don't you need that to write non-fiction I mean it's probably exactly what you need as well but then I think because <laughs> she's a maybe, fiction writer okay. but this also is like a non-fiction book and I'm wondering mm -hmm. I was wondering if maybe she was saying that fiction there's something special about it uh, that actually requires like maybe to write non-fiction you just need a room yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. don't need no money yeah. <laughs> or you need some money but you don't need a room <laughs> you're a pen and some paper no I totally get you I think I, that kind of actually does kind of make sense if she was to say that you need a room of your own to write fiction. Yeah. Because I think it's your own that is, like, doing the heavy lifting, mm. kind of, like, in that sentence, a room of one's own, right? Also the privacy element. Exactly. you need to be in solitude and to be able to block out the world to sit. Exactly. And think and imagine. Ex imagine. That's the big part with, like, fiction, right? You need the space to be able to indulge your imagination and indulge all of these thoughts you might have. One of our next episodes is about 100 Years of Solitude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm -hmm. And basically, apparently, he was driving on a family holiday mm -hmm. about to 
yeah, go on his holiday with his family. He gets an idea for that book. Mm -hmm. And he drives back home and says to his wife, please, can you take care of the bills for a couple of months? (laughs) A couple of months? I've got an idea. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes into it like, oh, yeah, a room, I guess. Yeah, a room of his own. A room of his own and writes. And I I just, I love that kind of awareness of, oh, I need to. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. there's also like Maya Angelou, when she always said that when she was writing her books, Mm -hmm. she, we're also going to talk about Maya Angelou. Mm She bought a hotel room. Yeah. She asked them to take off all the take away all the paintings, completely make it plain. Mm. She took some kind of alcohol, I can't remember. I think it was some sort of brown liquor. Love that. A Bible and yellow pads, like yellow legal pads, mm. and maybe her favourite pen. And she would just write like a maniac mm. from like six to twelve mm. every day while she was writing her books. I think it's I think people act sometimes like being creative is very woo woo mm-hmm. like you just it just comes out of me mm-hmm. and I just mm-hmm. but actually yeah it's like it is a very you can see how like the material conditions need to align in order to even be able to sit down and dedicate yourself like for example with mm-hmm. God, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez the fact that he was able to be like stop all this right now <laughs> we're going back I'm locking myself in that room for months and you know you guys sort yourselves out I think it's something that wouldn't even be available to like a lot of women Let's say, for example, it was even switched. They and had it was children. His wife. Exactly. And it was his wife who was like, oh, you know, actually, I've, I've had a great idea. Um, Let me so, go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see you in three months. Like, that's not going to happen Apparently for most children. Apparently it took children. him 15 months to write the book. There we go. That's not, sorry, that's not going to happen for most women. Most women <laughs> are not going to have... <laughs> they're not going to have the capability to just say, I'm going to put aside all my responsibilities for the next 15 months. And just focus so like solely on this creative pursuit. Who would even take her seriously? Who would even give you the space? Exactly. If, like maybe if a woman probably did say that, like I think I need some time to do that, mm-hmm. and then they would just be like, "Go bye." Yeah. Go <laughs> <laughs> pick up the kids. Yeah. Do you know what? Just it's, it's about three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, "Yeah, so dinner's still at six, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. It's just you wouldn't even have the space. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I like the Maya Angelou story as well because I think that exemplifies exactly what Virginia Woolf is trying to say. I bet um, she read this, in this book. essay. Oh, I bet you she did. She said, "Yeah, I am gonna get, go get a room of my own." I literally am gonna go and get a room <laughs> of my <laughs> own with the money that I have, yeah. which gives me access to resources, and then I'm gonna be able to like pursue this wholeheartedly yeah. until I create my art. Yeah. And And that's beautiful. Exactly. And I think the reason why it's so important is because it it does make you think about the question, why is it important that women Mm. are able to create, write fiction? Yeah. Why do you think? Because, I mean, Virginia Woolf mentions that it's like fiction is for the common good. Mm -hmm. And I love that. do, Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I love when she kind of said fiction is for the common good, not just the individual good. Because obviously writing is a very solitary process. So it can seem like this is something that I'm doing just kind of like for me. But I think there's so much power in fiction. And it is almost like a universal common good. And I think it's most important for women to write because fiction is almost how we create narratives. Not the only way, but it's one way in which we create narratives. So when women aren't writing, we're leaving all the... like all the narrative creation especially about ourselves to men yeah which is one thing that she says in a room of one's own as well there is a bit where she visits the british library 
Yeah. And she's looking around at the shelves and she's like, all of these are men writing about women. And she says how they always write about women in relation to men. Exactly. So wife, exactly. Um, just, I forgot, wife, basically just always in relation to In relation to, to men. And whenever, apparently she says, whenever women write about men, back then, mm-hmm. there was a tendency to focus only on women and then only speak a little about about men whereas men felt the confidence to develop full female characters mm. in their own vision and perspective mm-hmm, whereas mm-hmm. for example Jane Austen would always focus, focus on women always focus on the, what she knew which was for example like social yeah. kind of gatherings mm-hmm. like all Jane Austen's books I feel like follow a kind of similar pattern mm-hmm. and have a similar setting, mm-hmm. whereas men have the kind of brazenness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the audacity. Yeah. To just, <laughs> to just write about things that they have never experienced mm-hmm. and just be like, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and I to write it. like definitively as well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I really love that point that she makes as well. So she kind of theorizes that women are almost like a mirror through which men have been kind of seeing themselves up until this point, enlarged and strengthened. Does that kind of make sense? No. So we're like a mirror in which men will look to compare themselves more positively. Okay, yeah. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the sense of like... I, don't know, like, I think in the sense that they use their formulation of us and, you know, the narratives that they create around us and what women are like to kind of forge their own identity yeah their or, own kind of, identity. or kind of confirm and validate exactly the the, the um, their position as leaders mm-hmm. and people who inherit all the money exactly and that kind of thing yeah. literally to just affirm their kind of perceived superiority yeah whilst also presenting women as inferior so why do you feel like, or why do you think that fiction especially is important for women to be writing? It's, I think the way that I think about it is, is subjective, but I also feel like we are all quite similar, or like we have, basically for me, I know that fiction has, whether it's through books or through film, which is also fiction, has taught me about who I am yeah. what, I can, what I can expect for myself mm-hmm. those kind of things I always tell you I think Disney Channel has us all tapped <laughs> like I used to love Disney Channel don't get me wrong like Disney Channel original movie countdowns yeah oh had me by the throat but I think that yeah like what we yeah being able to it's, it's sad because I sometimes wish that you could have a vision for yourself without books without films but mm-hmm. I just think it's a lie like you can't I don't think you can pretend that you live outside of social conditioning mm-hmm. and so it's really important that women are part of the conditioning mm-hmm. just to give us the fullest picture of who we are and what we can expect for ourselves and yeah I just I just think that and like to explore our, our, our full humanity right exactly because I mean and also men's full humanity because honestly yeah. they don't sometimes I feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> well they don't necessarily Okay, so for example, Weird Things Fall Apart. Mm. That was one of the first books I read, like African literature books I read. Mm-hmm. But then when I read, read Nervous Conditions, mm. I felt like, wow, I've been missing this whole perspective. Mm-hmm. The female perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. So I think we're both kind of like latching on the 
idea of identity formation mm. as an important part of why women should be writing fiction, right? Also because it's fun. Yeah, and also it's fun, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think also coming from an African perspective, I've always considered storytelling in general to be a community building thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, so also in the past, it might have been like oral storytelling. We all gather around and In my we house, tell we still story. do it. Yeah, exactly. But like, even now, I think there is something to be said to that, especially for women. Mm. And like the gathering and the disseminating of the stories of women's lives. Yeah. And, and the think, lessons that you're supposed exactly. to take. Because all the, all the stories that my grandma or my dad tell us, there's a lesson in mm-hmm, it. Something mm-hmm. that that community wants the children mm-hmm. to live up to. Mm-hmm. And it feels like if we're allowing men to dominate the fiction, mm-hmm. the storytelling, they're creating what we should all be living up to. Yeah, they're creating our narratives for us. And yeah. then we find ourselves forced to live to these images that we haven't created ourselves or you feel rebellious when you do mundane things like exactly oh i want to work till i'm 32 crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah literally so yeah that's the thing and it's kind of interesting to me actually to go back to like a room of one's own she details a day at she calls it oxbridge yep and i mean obviously we all know what that means yeah (laughs) we all know what she's trying to say or exactly where she's locating this day very upper class very elitist intellectual spaces and she details a part where she goes for a meal at a college there and it's it's a men's college so she's invited to a luncheon and she says it's so great the food is amazing the conversation is sparkling and I guess so is the wine (laughs) (laughs) and then in contrast to that a bit later on she goes for dinner at her uh, or at a women's college also at this Oxbridge place. So while she's having dinner there, firstly, the food is like bland. It's like a bowl of soup versus this massive, massive meal they had at the men's college. But then also she says that she finds the conversation gossipy and like uninteresting, essentially. Oh. <laughs> oh. Which was, I'm not going to lie, was something that I took umbrage with a little bit. I literally, th- you know those girls who say, I don't like, Yeah. I like, Guys are, like, not gossipy. Yeah, exactly. Guys don't gossip. Like, girls are same as drama. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I hear anyone who says that, I feel like red flag. <laughs> yeah, red flag, red flag. <laughs> I'm not red flag in Virginia Woolf, but... Oh, no, no, no. But, like, it has to kind of be said. And I think this is the thing for me. I think it's so misogynistic to... <laughs> I think when people just kind of label women as gossipy and then being like, you know, gossipy is like a bad thing. I think it's so misogynistic because back in the day, I'm sorry, that's how people got information about the community. That's how people still get information. That's how people still get the information. It's like, what are we complaining about here? Talking about other people within your community? Everybody does that. Also, where did you think the woman got the info from? Exactly. Men are the lead gossip. (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I'm not saying that. But, (laughs) no, but I think that, I don't know if, She's obviously giving us the background to why maybe women don't write enough fiction. Mm-hmm. But it feels like when she talks about in in that in that comment, is she? I feel like it's not contextualized. Mm-hmm. Why women might be, why that luncheon might be different. Mm-hmm. Does she go into? I don't remember that her it's going to that kind of depth. No, she just kind of says that you know it's a shame that one the conversation isn't as like stimulating. But then I think one of her biggest points, which is the second point, is the fact that it shows how underfunded. 
yeah. the women are. Also, uh, they don't get to be educated in the same way. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. So I I felt like for me in that part, it kind of seemed like she was almost looking down on these women mm. and you know their conversational skills or whatever and comparing them to these men that she had at the luncheon and it was just kind of like don't do that <laughs> <laughs> don't do that i i'm part of me wants to be there because i want to be like but virginia did you try to <laughs> did you did try, you to try to... and start a conversation <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she did. Yeah. I'm but like, I don't know. No, like, Virginia, if you wanted to talk about Faulkner, I'm sure someone else there does as well, all right? Just yeah, stop like, the just conversation. Give them, give them a chance. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have no idea what, what that day was like for her because, <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It's But maybe it's too close to home to even talk about it because maybe it's true that the conversation wasn't stimulating. But, yeah, I think I would have appreciated more context into why... Um, because, like you said, just saying it made it feel, yeah, made it feel unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfair. Yeah. Mm. I think especially when she then goes on to kind of talk about the importance of us knowing about women's daily lives, especially, like, women who write. So, obviously, Virginia Woolf is an incredibly privileged white woman born into a... Upper class family, very educated family as well. And yet she was still kind of like facing these barriers that led her to then posit on what a woman needs in order to be able to write, right? A room of one's own. If we think of it intersexually and we try and think of the black women authors, and I think there's a lot of them, probably more than we even know, oh. who, who have written in the past, they've, you know, scrapped in whatever way and managed to find themselves a room of their own to allow them to create their art, to write, to make music or whatever else. And yet, despite all that, they weren't able to really achieve any kind of uh, financial success. Yeah. And that actually leads back to my first question about, is there anything we can add to what women need? Mm -hmm. Because what Virginia Woolf had also as part of the Bloomsbury group Mm. was connections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Connections. Connections. Exactly. I think... A writer needs that too. Yeah. (laughs) So I think when we add on like the added layer of like race into it now, that is what I think now allows us to... Yeah, race and class. Then we're able to kind of like build on Virginia's thesis. And ability. And I mean, even to just mention a few very, you know, like great writers that we know of. For example, Zora Neale Hurston, who wrote The Eyes Were Watching God. Amazing book. Incredible. Classic. Timeless. (laughs) Timeless. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I could keep going. <laughs> she died penniless and was buried in an unmarked grave. They found her, right? Yeah. Alice Walker had to... She researched where this woman could have possibly been buried, found out, went there, exhumed her, and then gave her like a proper burial. I love with, like, Alice a headstone. Walker. I love Alice that Walker. That is doing the work. No, seriously. Honestly, that is doing the work. Even... Shout out to Alice Walker because after she had some success, she always tried to publish through like black publications mm-hmm. just because she knew that people would buy her books. So she might as well give back to her community. I just, she's just, just a good, just a good businesswoman. Yeah, incredible. But it, it does make me wonder if Virginia Woolf was to write this exact essay in today's climate. Yeah. I suppose what she would also add on to 
this list of what is required or what a woman needs in order to make art. Because I think taking other factors, like, as you said, like, race and class, you realise that it's a lot more, it's a lot more nuanced than just having the space to do so. Yeah, and I'm even thinking about... I mean, this must happen also for loads of authors, but, like, you're the one who put me onto Wanda Coleman. I love Wanda Coleman. And now she's having this moment. Mm-hmm. Is she alive? No. She's not alive. Unfortunately. But, but now she's having this moment. I don't know... Yeah, I think it is important to think about why why people don't make it when they're... But, I mean, people say also that Franz Kafka, for example, mm. wasn't successful until he died. Mm-hmm. Didn't, like, didn't reach the levels that he's reached now. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know why. And I don't know if when Virginia Woolf is talking about what you need to write fiction, if she's just leaving it there. Mm. Because she's not really saying successful fiction. Mm. She's just saying that you should write. Yeah, just writing is practice. Writing yeah. is like a way of living, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it makes me think of Audre Lorde, who who always says that poetry is not a luxury, mm-hmm. and how I believe that Audre Lorde would have was a poet before anyone even ever knew, and that mm-hmm. she was always going to be a poet mm-hmm. because she was writing for herself, mm-hmm. and that like to 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 like writing to like live and to keep going every day, mm-hmm. and I feel like yeah, success is one thing. And the list would be different if we just spoke about that. Mm. But even just to have a writing practice that is nourishing for yourself, mm-hmm. that builds a narrative for yourself, for mm. the people around you. Yeah, that that also feels like a different. And I don't know. Yeah, that I, w- I would love to talk to her and say, <laughs> like take it longer and say, okay, so if we're writing for success, we're writing for ourselves. Yeah. Does this list change? Mm. Yeah, does it? That's one to think about, isn't it? So it was your first time reading this, Amanda. Yeah. How did you find it? I'm surprised that I hadn't read it earlier, sooner. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even read Mrs. Dalloway. Really? Oh. <sighs> I don't know why I said anything. Oh my God, I don't <laughs> know why you did. <laughs> I love Mrs. Dalloway. But it's all in my room. I just... I, remember I can't say room now without saying... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't... I haven't... I haven't... Yeah, I just got into her. Yeah, I find I found it hard to read, mm-hmm. but um, rewarding that yeah. kind of thing. I actually do think her writing style takes a bit getting used to. If it reminds me of Toni Morrison, you know how Toni Morrison, yes. you gotta work. Yeah, you gotta work for it. <laughs> you gotta work. That's how I felt. It's like dizzying almost the way that she writes, right? Because it's so like stream of consciousness, like really internal. But, I don't find as much like with her fiction. I mean, her nonfiction, but like with her fiction. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I have no experience with her fiction, but mm. this work was written not in a, not not in a very. It wasn't just very straightforward. Like she writes from, like you said, the perspective of a fictional. Mm-hmm woman mm-hmm. and she tells you that she's about to do it and so it, I just felt like I had to focus mm-hmm. that kind yeah, of book. yeah um but I loved how and I think all teachers tell you to write essays like this how right from the beginning she just hit the nail on the head I could have stopped reading from the when she said a woman needs a room of her own like some money in a room I was like okay well yeah no literally let's leave yeah <laughs> got it you've got it yeah <laughs> so it's just one of those books that I think I'll return to mm-hmm. and I think a book that made me feel... Because I also, we should say... Or I should say that I, I also write. Mm. And I love to write. Mm. But I never feel like I have time to write. Mm. And sometimes it's like, oh, you just need to make time. You just That's why you're not doing that. But actually, reading this 
gives me more context and more perspective. And I think sometimes I'm not able to write because I don't have the space, not just physically, but mentally. Mm -hmm, mm. And so it's that kind of reminder that writing, yeah, it's this thing that makes you feel, or gives me energy, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard to do or that it doesn't need the right conditions. Mm -hmm. And I always feel like, yeah, I've always always been hard on myself for not, writing consistently but actually maybe I would write consistently if I understood that I need xyz yeah exactly. so I already was happy to read this yeah I love that <laughs> I love that now go read Mrs Dalloway okay <laughs> <laughs> yes mom <laughs> so we reached out to you guys for your first impressions of a room of one's own and at Queer African Reads on Instagram had something to say. I think for me, like when I read Virginia Woolf, like right now I'm reading, yesterday on the train I was reading To the Lighthouse. When I read her, I'm so impressed by how she thinks. And I'm so, like when I was reading A Room of One's Own, I was so happy that she, I thought it was just about like women need space to write, but her consideration of the topic was so intersectional. And it always makes me, I mean, at least this book was, reminding me of like how privileged I am to be the type of person who has the time, the space, the resources to be able to just sit and think because that's what makes a good writer. But at the same time with Virginia Woolf, I'm always like, were you thinking about me really when you were talking about how like women in general uh, need the space to think? Were you thinking about me or were you talking about like white women? I completely agree with everything they just said in that voice note. I too am impressed by how she thinks. And I think most importantly, they mentioned To the Lighthouse, which is one of Virginia Woolf's uh, fiction novels. And when you read it, it's the way that she so aptly transcribes thought to page. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Like with the whole stream of consciousness thing. She literally writes exactly the way my brain works. And I think that is what I was so impressed by when I first read her, because it read like being just completely inside someone's mind. Every thought that they have, every sight that they see, everything that they smell. But yeah, I also found that really, really impressive. And I continue to find that impressive about Virginia. I That was one of the best recommend like I, I'm i buying that book To the Lighthouse yeah yeah do it I really like that they mention this this thing of you know what women need is mm. space and time to think mm-hmm. and I think it's actually really important that Virginia Woolf is a fictional writer and you know I was making a joke about you know what does she mean um, she, you need these things to write fiction and what mm. about non-fiction mm. and obviously she's speaking from her own perspective as a fictional writer and that when it comes to fiction that you need that like I love that Queer African Reads is reiterating that because I think we mentioned it earlier as well, yeah. that when you're writing fiction, you need time and that you need to think about it. And yeah. it is this like imaginary endeavor. Like you have to, you have to, yeah. you have to use your imagination. You yeah. have to have one and mm-hmm. to have one, you need like all this kind of thing. And I just imagine her sitting down and thinking, yeah, what, how do I write my best work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she sat down and said, oh, I, it's usually when I'm alone, it's usually because I never, I never actually stop to think about when I'm good, 
why am I good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I'm flourishing, why did I flourish that why time? Why was I flourishing? Was yeah. it because I was encouraged? Was it because someone gave me time? Mm-hmm. Was it because I didn't have any time and I'm mm-hmm. one of those crazy people who needs pressure? Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> Neither. No. But I think that's interesting. That is interesting. And it kind of also reminds me of this, what I think is like a key moment in in, in the book and in the narrative that she paints of, you know, uh, the girl at Oxbridge. Um, you know the bit where she's talking about the narrator or her narrator rather rushing across the like across the lawn because she has this like a thought comes to her or an idea comes to her and it's like a eureka moment and she's like this is absolutely genius I need to go write this down somewhere I need to go flesh this out and you know she talks about ideas being like fish like tangible and real but also still slippery at the same time yeah so she has this idea and she's rushing across like the lawn to get it down on some paper and she's stopped by like a male guard um who tells her that the lawn is like reserved for fellows and scholars only (laughs) (laughs) and by the time she makes it back to like the gravel path that she was supposed to be on the thought has completely disappeared and I relate to that. Right? So painfully. So, like, relatable. And I think it works metaphorically and literally as well. Because physically, she's being literally stopped by, like, this male guard. Um, but then also, I feel like on a wider societal level, it's like a micro aspect of, like, the larger things, the larger barriers and hurdles that women face because it can be something like really really mundane like oh sorry no this is for like scholars only but then even just in that moment just that one interruption has completely disrupted the whole idea the whole idea yeah you know on what queer african readers um questioning you know did she have black people in mind or mm-hmm. um, I mean you know she definitely did yeah or queer people in mind <laughs> yeah <laughs> no queer yeah because Virginia Woolf is a queer icon yeah and I think she does cover a lot of ground yeah but yeah like we've already mentioned I think the list could grow yeah like I think that is one aspect in which I think Virginia Woolf was still quite revolutionary which is when it comes to like obviously like her gender politics but then also when it comes to things like championing queer relationships, being engaged in them, still thinking about it and considering alternative ways of living. Like, for example, her love letters to Vita Sackville-West, who was like a poet uh, that she had an affair with for like a long part of her life, are like so beautiful and Mm. so moving and poignant. And I remember reading them like as a teenager And I was just not like amazed because obviously people have been like queer forever, but it was just kind of like validating to even just see that like from so like back so far back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she was like still quite revolutionary in that aspect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you at Queer African Reads on Instagram. Yes. Thank you for that. So now we're moving on to our book request segment where you can get a little book recommendation from us, the book fairies. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I just love that. Book fairies, hilarious. Book fairies, <laughs> book agony aunts, we've got you. Yeah, we have got you. So what have we got? Right, so today we, and I'm not going to lie, this one, this recommendation or this request rather, 
It threw me for a loop. This was a challenging one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> this was a challenging one. I thought it was one. really interesting. And I love actually the how weirdly specific it is. I love I how weirdly specific it is. I want to know why they want this. Anyway, you read it. Yeah. So we have today someone who's looking for fiction with a foolishly arrogant protagonist, which is how they put it, who actually faces repercussions for their stupidity instead of having plot armour and going unpunished. So she wants someone who does wrong and then is made to pay for it. It's giving Icarus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, actually. Icarus. No. <laughs> no, um, no, it's giving like Greek, ta- like Greek tragedy. And it's giving Shakespeare. I it's feel like a lot of Shakespeare tragedies are like... Greek tragedy. Yeah. It's I'm giving gonna classic say, I'm going to say Othello. No. <laughs> No, no, no. I think a really good recommendation for this one is Things Fall Apart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think Okonkwo, the, the protagonist, is foolishly arrogant. Mm. And he pays for that. And he does. Multiple and, times. And he deserved to. I did feel sorry for him, but he absolutely deserved what happened. I felt sorry for him because he was losing his way of life. He was watching it disappear before his, like, his very eyes. And he felt powerless in control yeah. of that. So I felt sorry for him in that way, but not on like an individual level. Yeah. Like as a person. I yeah. was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that book is perfect for that. So Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe is perfect for that. Yeah, because he is foolishly arrogant. He is a protagonist and he faces repercussions. Yeah. And I'm also really interested in this concept of plot armor. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, yeah, I think it's true. I think that in the end, protagonists always get saved. Mm hmm. And you just made to feel really sorry for them. And so they do some trippy things and you're like, oh, oh, no, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. But it is good when they, well, yeah, when there's justice. Yeah. It's more realistic as well. Mm. You know? Yeah. Okay. So we hope you like that recommendation. And if you do end up reading it, please let us know what you think of it. And let us know if we hit the mark as well, because this one was so specific. <laughs> was so I think specific. it did. I think it really did. Yeah, I think so too. Back to A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. Takeaways. So for me, I think, like I said, I I really took away from this the practicalities of creativity. Mm, I love that. Because I think think you said this earlier. I feel like people think creative pursuits usually are just like, there's nothing practical or like realistic about them. Yeah. When it's like you actually need everything else in order like everything else to be in order yeah before you can even begin to be creative and there's a whole there's a whole youtube video content world of people following artistic routines like Mm. the routines of artists Mm. like oh i followed picasso's routine for Mm. for a week and there's this kind of diligence and there's nothing like it's very strict Mm -hmm. it's very disciplined Mm -hmm. and it's not just about I mean, there are. No, I'm trying to think if it's if it, there are those people who I feel like made it seem that you know, like for example, what's his name Basquiat. Mm-hmm. I feel like because he used to do graffiti on the wall on the walls and stuff, people think that oh, it's just like, just I don't know, it just comes out of them mm-hmm. and they have an idea and then they run and they yeah, like there's no struggle for it. There's no struggle. There's no. But I mean, like I think people have mentioned that he he was in hospital for a long time and he actually practiced like 
drawing human body parts yeah. really long time yeah. and I think it's that diligence that allows you to go out there maybe on one night and create something amazing yeah but yeah that's what I took away love that and so true what um, about you yeah I think my literally main takeaway from this is kind of the importance of writing for ourselves mm. when I say ourselves I mean women because it's such like a call to arms I think and she kind of does end it by being kind of like charging everyone who was in the audience to go out and go write voraciously love that yeah she's like I go out there and go write I was like, yes <laughs> i will <laughs> give me a pen <laughs> um i think to build on top of that so when especially us as like black women reading this i think i'm also also took away the need to carve out not just spaces but like inclusive spaces that take kind of all our differences into account and that allow space for self-definition. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was my main, main takeaway. No also doubt. To, to write, and to write like there's no tomorrow. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. it's life work. Oh, I feel like you're dragging me. <laughs> I know, looking directly into your I know, eyes, you're like... It's life work. <laughs> your takeaway is my takeaway, and, my, and also my takeaway that I said. Yeah. <laughs> so you take away Amanda, what can Back we say? Back again! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. Next episode, we are getting into I Know Where the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Ooh. And if you know me, then you know <laughs> what this episode means. <laughs> this is this is a big one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time coming. It's a long... We should, <laughs> this is going to be... I think... Yeah, I love Maya Angelou, basically. So I think a lot of us love Maya Angelou, so I hope it's like a really interesting discussion. Yeah, so, no, literally, see you there. Yeah, see you there. And in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at the Stacked Pod. Please join our book community. You can follow me, Amanda, at Amanda Afwa. And you can follow me, Zipporah, at Black and Bound on Instagram. This has been Stacked. And remember to pick up a book today. Or tomorrow. Stacked is part of the ACAST Amplifier, in collaboration with CC Co. The executive producer was Iwan Obinyan, with production by II Studios.